this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. This is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our new podcast focusing on the phenomenon of parental alienation, moving from therapist's couch to the courtroom and beyond. So I'd like to pick up, this is episode four, so we're moving right along with our podcast collection, which is really exciting. And just a real, a little recap, if you will, of Dr. Stephen Cece's work on the what we call the science of misperception. And number one is basically that memory is not a passive recording like a tape recorder or a computer. It, it is something that is cumulative. It changes over time. It changes with various kinds of influences. The environment, people who are interacting with someone can affect their memory of events, etc. Humans don't like to be confused, have a tendency to make sense out of nonsense. So in other words, if somebody's trying to convince us that our parent is a bad person, that doesn't make any sense to us unless we have direct experience of that. And so in the absence of any kind of an experience, it doesn't make any sense. But little by little, we try and make sense out of that nonsense, and it gets influenced, and then it becomes a false belief. I again want to emphasize that I am not downplaying any genuine abuse that people experience. That's real, and that becomes a serious issue. I'm talking about in cases where abuse is fabricated and someone is convinced to reject a parent for no valid reason other than the false beliefs that they have um, been instilled with. The other thing that we learned from Cece is that repeated questions or a discussion about events can lead to a memory trace. Repeating questions over and over and over again, as in multiple child protection uh, allegations and investigations, basically can actually create a memory trace of an event that never really occurred. So repeated questions is an important issue. We also see that there are leading questions to some of these investigations. We'd like to think that there's not a whole lot of that. We like to think that these investigators are well-trained, but that's not always the case. And, And sometimes people are motivated to, unfortunately, unethically, bring cases into their organizations, um, without any kind of investigation or validity to the allegations. So we need to be aware of that. That's a possibility, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's always happening, but it is an event that does occur. Children are highly suggestible to 
What Sisi investigated was the concept of stereotypes. Somebody's an alcoholic, somebody is a drug addict, somebody is a bad person, somebody is negligent, somebody is irresponsible. These are stereotypes that get implanted and frequently in children's minds. They get implanted in a number of ways, calling law enforcement on someone to see if they're safe, telling a child that they should be able to remember that dial 911 if you don't feel safe while you're with the other parent. Again, obviously, there are situations when that's quite appropriate, and then there are situations when that's really a fabrication. So we look at the whole role of parenting, because this is a really interesting um, topic to look at. We look at parenting and we say, what is, the, what's, what is parenting all about? Parenting is, is an application of influencing children, real positive parenting. We teach children to be ethical. We teach children to have values. We teach children to um, be emotionally appropriate, to be respectful of authority figures. You know, there was a time when you were not disrespectful to law enforcement. You weren't disrespectful to judges or courts. You weren't disrespectful to parents or other relatives or other adults. That was part of what we were taught as children. A lot of that seems to be changing in our society, and that's not necessarily for the good. So we look at parents to teach us ethical, emotional, intellectual guidance, if you will, that we give to a child. Well, you look at parental alienation, and it's sort of a distortion of that role. In other words, children are taught to be suspicious, to spy, to lie, to believe negative things about a parent, which without really good justification. We look at attachment in the human relationship, and it's probably the strongest uh, parental attachment. is probably the strongest form of attachment in the human experience. It doesn't get broken easily. It can be distorted. It can be disorganized, if you will. But it's always there. No matter what a parent does, children will always, generally speaking, now obviously there are some exceptions, but children will always come back to wanting that parental relationship. Quite honestly, even when parents are no longer with us or alive, that we really kind of miss our parents. No matter what they did in very many cases. Look, you look at cases where people have committed crimes and they're incarcerated. Our culture recognizes the value of that relationship, that parent-child relationship, to the point where incarcerated criminals actually have relationships, have time-sharing with their children while they're in prison or jails. That's an, important, that's an important thing to think about. And I think one of the things that we should keep in mind is that evaluators, professionals working with uh, children and parental issues, especially in the legal system, they need to understand that this is a very powerful relationship, and it's not one that children typically give up very easily. We look at parent parenting as a source from which we get a sense of self, who we are, what we do. I frequently give testimony in courts, and, I, and I'll talk to the whole issue of children look to our father, and we see what it's like to be a man, a father, and a parent, and a husband. Those are the roles. Those are the roles that we see when we look at our father. We look at our mother and we see what it's like to be a woman, a wife, and a mother. Those roles become very important to us because 
we ultimately, very frequently, find ourselves marrying people that are very much like what our parents were like. And we recognize that in many, many, many times. We also notice that there's also a lot of psychopathology in alienating parents. So we look at a parent's childhood with a lot of um, go in depth in terms of looking at what went on in their lives and what they bring to the table as a parent. It's really important. So again, if a parent was alienated as a child, they may wind up alienating their own children as soon as marital discourse shows up in their in their lives. Okay. Um, you think in terms of the kind of stress and trauma that divorce, alienation, high conflict can bring to a child. And that's the kind of thing that wind up they wind up bringing for the rest of their lives, dealing with it, if not on a direct traumatic stress-induced phenomenon, it's, it's operating subtly and, and unconsciously. It's, this is something that I think all child evaluators, child custody evaluators, should really take a look at how much of a parent's background in childhood is being played out in, in the situation that they're looking at right now. We look at the whole concept of attachment theory. and Basically, it describes the dynamics of long-term relationships between, between humans and um, John Bowles, basically, was somebody who was a forefront uh, investigator in this whole area, basically from looking back into the 1950s, where he was looking at, um, looking at the kind of phenomenon that the, in England after the war, what, how many children lost their parents and how many were raised without their biological parents or lost a parent and the kind of attachment phenomenon or consequences that that had on them. Infants need to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver. That's a that's a biological fact, and it can't be can't be denied or or minimized. Attachment theory sets the foundation for normal social and emotional development, and if there's a void there, that's going to have a lifelong effect on on the individual, and it basically explains how much. Uh, the parent's relationship with the child influences the child's development. The quality of the attachment is really important, um, and we need to be able to look at that very closely. I mentioned immediately after World War II, homeless often children um, basically presented a lot of difficulties in terms of their behavior, their emotional status, and John Bowlesby, B-O-W-L, B-Y, I'm mispronouncing, Bowlby, was asked by the UN to write a pamphlet on the issues which um, he entitled Maternal Deprivation. It's the whole phenomenon of attachment theory. And it grew out of this, grew out of all his work. And um, it's an extensive literature, multiple books that he has authored that uh, really play out the whole criticality of, of attachment theory. Long-term attachment studies have uniformly uh, commented, if you will, identified, documented the, the, uh, the terrible effects of divorce on attachment status in children. And again, the quality of that divorce process is extremely important. Many children who grow out, uh, grow up 
without fathers, especially boys, somehow boys are more vulnerable to this process, demonstrate significant difficulties in sex role, gender identity, gender identity development, school performance, psychosocial adjustment. Basically, the, the whole ability to control aggression has been documented in the literature as being a, a, an important phenomenon of of attachment theory. The whole area of father loss, we see a lot of children being raised without a father or having contact with other father. father. And and what's important too is is take a look at that alienating parent's relationship with their father. Uh, I don't have uh, scientific data, but I see more more, uh, anecdotal data that suggests that the father plays a really significant role in a child's life, and it needs to really be um, identified. Um, and we look at it, if an infant had a significant relationship with a parent, and that parent somehow or other is excluded from the child's life, the infant becomes upset. They become even depressed. And so this ongoing mourning, if you will, of the loss of the parent, especially a father, and the consequence of the loss of the possibilities may be ultimately more important to the young child than the initial loss. In other words, the ongoing stress and trauma of the loss may be more important than the actual loss itself initially, and especially with fathers where who, they become a peripheral influence and they fall out of a child's life altogether. This was documented in, in the literature. We look at the whole area of compassion, a, a chief attachment emotion. It plays a role in the self-building function of the attachment drive. Compassion, the ability to be uh, compassionate towards another human being, to be empathetic, if you will, towards another parent. The whole idea of self-building, a unique power of interactions among attachment figures is to build an individual's sense of self, particularly personal value as an attachment figure. Whether you're whether you're worthy of love or whether one's love is worthy of others. We look to our parents and we see, am I attractive? Am I smart? Am I intelligent? Am I lovable? Am I capable of loving? This is a real important phenomenon. This is important things for children to, um, to learn with the presence of two parents. We look at failures in compassion that hurting the feelings of other people that we love. That's a failure of compassion. That's being not compassionate. Criticizing personality, criticizing other people, having a criticizing personality, attacking self-esteem. In other words, being negative on your own self in terms of who I am and what I am. and Am I attractive? Am I intelligent? Am I competent? Do I become controlling and manipulating? That's a failure of compassion. Isolating, discouraging friends, isolating other people, isolating oneself. Being threatening, intimidating, coercing other people is a failure of compassion. Becoming destructive with property is, is a failure of compassion, especially if it's not your property. Threatening and harming pets. We see a lot of concern with children who are mean to animals. Why? What's gone on in their childhood? What is their basic experience to help create such a relationship with animals? Grabbing, pushing, shoving, slapping, hitting, 
kicking, burning, biting, punching, all failures of compassion that we learn through the attachment relationship. And finally, you go into where you get threatening with weapons and finally death, killing people. So that's pretty significant that we get out of this relationship that we say is an attachment relationship. So the bottom line is attachment is a very significant phenomenon that we need to investigate when we look at these cases of parental alienation, both in terms of the attachment of the alienated child and the rejected parent and the attachment background of the parents because they set they 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 develop the foundation upon which their relationship with their children in the future basically is constructed so anyway i'd like to thank you again this is uh chapter four chapter four (laughs) episode four of our, our podcast and i appreciate your attending Look forward to uh, talking to you again next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www dot d-r-b-o-b-e-v-a-n-s dot com or www.naopas dot com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. Mm-hmm.